This is the sixth episode of Doctor 101, a podcast where we break down the science behind medicine into easily relatable terms, and where we dissect the art of advocating for yourself in a medical setting, such as a doctor's office or hospital. I'm Dr. Rahman, CEO and Chairman at Road, and as you can tell by the title, today's podcast is about allergies. So let's sit back and relax, or if you're jogging, or driving to work, or wherever you may be listening, and get into this topic. As you might have already known, allergies worldwide have increased in the past 50 years, and although the reason for this phenomenon isn't quite known for sure, we know that the world is becoming more industrialized, and as sanitary conditions are improving, children are less exposed to allergens at an early age. So when these children eventually do grow up and do become exposed, they are prone to suffering from symptoms related to allergic reactions. According to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, almost one-third of food-allergic children have multiple food allergies, and approximately 40% of food-allergic children have a history of severe reactions. And of course, peanut is the most common allergen, followed by milk and then shellfish. Of course, allergies are not just limited to children, but can also develop later on in adulthood, which can be just as severe as seen in children. As a severe asthma and allergy sufferer myself, let's briefly get into the psychological effects allergies cause beyond the physical manifestations. Believe it or not, I've had more people than I can remember tell me that my allergies are all in my head or I have some kind of mental problem. After hearing this over and over and over again throughout my life, before I started med school and actually learned about the mechanisms behind allergies, sometimes I actually stopped for a second and thought, maybe it is all in my head. But of course, with just a little bit of research, it becomes obvious that this is definitely not a mental problem. But even if it was, there's nothing wrong with that. Another common societal mentality faced by allergy sufferers is, say... I'm at a guest's home and avoiding a certain food item, understandably because I'm allergic to it. And someone will come in and say, come on, it's not a big deal, I have allergies too. Yes, they may have seasonal allergies or some symptoms here and there, but even after explaining the severity of allergies that may occur in my case, they just do not understand. This reminds me of a time that I once mentioned that I can't have the chicken because of the red food coloring on it and the host's response was that I was being arrogant and a picky eater, when in fact, I'm just severely allergic to red dye. The lack of awareness on a societal level is definitely something to be aware of in the realm of the allergy discussion. Moving on, on a very basic level, an allergic reaction occurs when the immune system, which normally fights off bacteria, viruses, or any foreign substance that enters the body, views the allergen coming into the body as a foreign invader. There's a huge list of potential allergens, and some of the common allergens in children we mentioned were peanuts, milk, and shellfish. But the list can also include a wider range of other irritants, such as those found in the environment like dust, pollen, mold, pet dander, and pet saliva, food allergies such as nuts, fish, wheat, and soy, chemicals such as fragrances and perfumes and soaps, and so on and so forth. The list is just too long. Whichever the allergen or allergens it may be, as a trigger, when the body senses these as foreign to itself, the immune system releases specific allergy-related cells, 
called mast cells, which contain histamine, which is released. And histamine is partly to blame for all the symptoms you see in an allergic reaction. But let's not be too quick to blame histamine for all this. Think of when someone has the flu. They're miserable, with coughing, muscle aches, fever, sore throat, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. But these symptoms are actually in some ways blessings in disguise. As these symptoms, no matter how bad they may be, is the immune system's way of telling us, hey, there's an influenza virus inside here, and you should maybe do something about it. In the same way, in an allergic reaction, histamine is released by the immune system to cause allergy symptoms to tell us that something is not right in the body. The way I like to think about allergies are in two broad categories, the acute or very short-term or chronic long-term settings. In the acute short-term, there are two types of responses that can occur. One, there can be an emergency allergic reaction known as anaphylaxis, which literally means an exaggerated response, and two, a non-emergency type called urticaria, or commonly known as hives or a skin rash. Let's first start off with anaphylaxis, which we said was an emergency situation, occurs anywhere from minutes to two hours after the first exposure to the allergen, and usually affects multiple systems of the body, including symptoms of general itching of the skin with a rash throughout the body, throat or tongue swelling, shortness of breath, wheezing, and low blood pressure. Knowing the consequences of anaphylaxis are especially important, even for those who do not suffer from allergies, as we will soon see, because if the throat or tongue swells up enough, it can block the airway, making breathing very difficult, which may lead to fatal outcomes. Noticing these symptoms can and does save a life. Since there is no time to confirm the diagnosis in this emergency setting, injecting with epinephrine is of utmost importance to rapidly open up the airways and bring the blood pressure back to normal. You may have heard of an EpiPen, which is epinephrine, and this is something severe allergy sufferers know about, and they should carry with this with them at all times. There simply isn't enough time for them to call an ambulance and get treated in the hospital in the case of anaphylaxis. If an EpiPen is with them at all times, and especially in a case of anaphylaxis, hopefully there will be someone knowledgeable enough with them, who by the way does not need to have any medical experiences, to administer the EpiPen, which is usually injected in the middle to outer thigh. The second type of acute short-term allergic response is urticaria, which is not an emergency, but can be severe as well. Wheels, spelled W-H-E-A-L-S, are common in urticaria, which are red, swollen, often itchy bumps that show up during an allergic reaction. And these wheels are sometimes surrounded by flares, which is just redness around the wheel. Feel free to use Google Images to see exactly how wheels and flares present. Once again, this is a clinical diagnosis, so once we see it, it's pretty easy to tell, and no low blood pressure is seen, like we see in anaphylaxis. Before moving on to the chronic allergic conditions, I do want to mention contact dermatitis, which is inflammation of the skin due to physical contact with an allergen. This occurs within minutes and may last for weeks if the contact persists. Common causes of contact dermatitis are nickel, which sometimes are found in belt buckles, 
poison ivy, and different types of fragrances found in perfumes, soaps, and detergents. For now, since we have covered the important acute conditions seen in allergies and contact dermatitis, next up are the chronic allergic conditions, which are allergic rhinitis and conjunctivitis. Itis simply means inflammation, which is redness, swelling, heat, and pain. So for allergic rhinitis, think of a rhino with a big nose, so basically a stuffy or runny nose. And for allergic conjunctivitis, with the conjunctiva being the white part of the eye. So here we have a runny, watery, red eye. Both rhinitis, which goes by another name, hay fever, and conjunctivitis are similar in that they both can be seasonal, like in the spring or fall or any kind of weather change, last for many days, weeks, or even months, and can be treated with over-the-counter medications. Two common signs in these conditions are the allergic shiners and allergic salute, where shiners is dark circles around the eye caused by blood accumulation in the area due to irritation of allergies, and the salute is when a crease in the nose is seen because of the certain stereotypical way chronic allergy sufferers wipe their nose over time. Let's now dive into the medications that help relieve allergy symptoms, which I like to think of in a stepwise ascending fashion. First, as we mentioned, the EpiPen should always be in the back of a severe allergy sufferers and their loved ones' minds. By the way, it's also important to check the expiration date on the EpiPen once in a while, since they're not often used. Next, remember when histamine was released by the mast cells by the immune system in an allergic response? Well, to stop the allergic symptoms caused by histamine, we have drugs called antihistamines, or drugs that work against histamine to help stop the response and thereby that stop the allergic symptoms. A common antihistamine given, especially in the acute short-term setting, is diphenhydramine, commonly known as Benadryl. However, Benadryl does have side effects such as drowsiness, fatigue, sleepiness, dry mouth, constipation, and more. So you can see that for someone who goes to school or work, or anyone who's involved in daily activities, this is not a good long-term option. Newer generation antihistamines, such as loratadine, better known as claritin, fexofenadine or allegra, cetirizine or zyrtec, help solve this side effect problem by possessing non-drowsy effects and less of the other adverse reactions caused by older generation antihistamines. It's worth mentioning that all of these antihistamines can be taken on their own, or can be taken with a D such as Benadryl-D, Claritin-D, Allegra-D, or Zyrtec-D. And this D stands for decongestant. And a decongestant does exactly what it says. It clears up all the clogged up sinuses, stuffy nose, and all the mess that congests the region of the ear, nose, and throat. A steroidal nasal spray for rhinitis and eye drops for conjunctivitis can prove to be very helpful. And all of these drugs are sold in different packaging and dosing, so make sure to double-check the box to see how often to take each medication. So far, just to quickly review, we have epinephrine for anaphylaxis, an antihistamine like Benadryl for acute reactions, newer antihistamines for longer chronic allergies, and an antihistamine plus a D 
for decongestion. If for one reason or another these drugs just aren't cutting it, it's time to add methylprednisolone, or commonly known as steroids, or maybe you've heard of Medrol, the brand name. Steroids are much more powerful than antihistamines, so powerful that it needs to be slowly built up over time and weaned off over 6 to 12 days. But this power comes at a cost in the form of side effects such as insomnia, stomach aches, and skin problems. But the one I want you to know is immune suppression. I keep mentioning that allergies is an overreaction of the immune response. So in order to stop this, we need the immune suppression steroids gives us. But steroids can only be given for days to weeks at a time, and we need a longer-term solution. For this, we have allergen immunotherapy, which are injections given over months to desensitize the patient from the allergens they are specifically allergic to. By giving a tiny amount of the allergen in an injection and increasing the allergen amount over time, the immune system learns to react to the allergen in a healthy, responsible way. Notice that these shots do not directly relieve allergy symptoms, but by exposing the allergen to the immune system, the intention here is to ultimately not have any allergy symptoms at all. You may have noticed that so far we haven't talked about allergy testing, and this is because our first goal as clinicians is to treat the aggravating symptoms. Allergy testing, such as a skin prick test, where an allergen is pricked into the skin to see if there's an allergic response, and a RAST, R-A-S-T, blood test to see how much of an allergic response there is in the blood. Both are used more often when conventional treatments already mentioned are not working, and to figure out how to proceed with allergy shots, and also help determine exactly which allergens to avoid. Finally, this brings us to perhaps the most important part of today's episode, some quick tips and tricks for allergy sufferers. The number one treatment for any kind of allergies is avoidance of the trigger, but since that is not always possible, it is necessary to minimize allergens as much as possible. For example, if someone knows that they suffer from outdoor allergies mainly, it's time to close the windows, take off the shoes, shower, and change clothes as soon as they come home, and turn on the AC during warmer months. In a humid room, especially for those who are allergic to mold or dust, investing in a dehumidifier is worthwhile. For indoor allergies, it's best to let in some fresh air to clear everything up inside the house and buy pillow and mattress covers, which provide as barriers from collecting on or near the bed. Washing these covers, as well as sheets, in addition to clothing, and anything on the body regularly, and using an allergy-free detergent is very important in reducing exposures. Keeping skin moisturized and hydrated, especially after a shower, is important, and for allergy purposes, make sure it is free of fragrances, dyes, perfumes, and such. It's also important to keep extra medications that we discussed already, and take them as soon as symptoms begin before they get out of control. Of course, although it might take a little bit of trial and error to see exactly which medications and routines work best, I encourage all allergy sufferers take 
most, if not all, precautionary measures and speak to their healthcare provider for their specific needs. This brings us to the end of this episode. If you're enjoying this, please don't forget to rate this podcast. Also, I'm happy to take your questions on Twitter at AskDoctor101 or email me at AskDR101 at gmail.com. I just have a short message from our sponsor, Dr. Dermacare, a skincare clinic for your skincare needs, including microdermabrasion, permanent hair removal, chemical peels, dermaplaning, and so much more. They're located in Peekskill, New York. Call 877-266-0300. That's 877-266-0300 today for more information and schedule an appointment. Thanks for listening.